0: The reason I was hesitant to say this is because I know that there are churches that literally have that language on their website. I'm not not picking on you specifically, but if you pull up, you'll find some version. The the words might change, but essentially what they're saying is like, show up Sunday, join a small group, midweek thing, and then somehow serve either the church or the community. Mm -hmm. And if you do those three things, that's what it means to be a disciple. And the thing about that is, is that you can max out that definition of discipleship inside of a week. Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast, where we have uncut, honest conversations about faith, life, and ministry. So, Cameron, we're sitting down on a gloomy Thursday afternoon, Mm -hmm. because we live in western New York.
1: You did see... A strange yellow orb we did. in the sky yesterday for a couple hours. It made me so happy. It really made me happy too. <laughs> it, it really did. I went out to do some uh, feed our animals in our barn early in the morning and the sun was coming up and I just kind of stood in the field next to my barn and just like looked at the sun and let the warmth and the light, just the sunlight, hit my face and it was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is what I need. You know, I actually, I'm sure
0: somebody out there who knows, um, like, weather <laughs> and understands the science of it, but I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, why is it just that? I mean, it's fine that it's cold, but why does the sun actually have to disappear? Why is it cloudier in the, in these winter months than it is in the warmer months? And I'm sure it's got something to do with air pressure and humidity, humidity and all that jazz. So, but... I don't know. I just, I find it so
1: abysmal that it's just one giant gray slab outside. Yeah. So I have never been the type of person that has recognized that, that, you know, had been like, Oh, we haven't seen the sun in X amount of days Yeah. to me. It's just like always been like, well, this is just kind of,
0: well, cause you, you've lived here your whole life. My whole life. Yeah. (laughs)
1: This is just how it is, you know, but for whatever reason this year, I'm feeling like, Oh, wow a little bit of sunshine would be like game changing today. Yeah.
0: Well, I was I used to, this is totally not what we had planned to talk about, but I watched this like you know, video online because I spend too much time online. And there was this guy with this like light meter and he was measuring just a different like amount of light exposure and type of light exposure you get when you're inside versus being outside. And he's like, yeah, like on a sunny day, obviously you're going to get more sun exposure. It's going to do better things for your circadian rhythm and stuff like that. But even the amount of light that we're getting on a day like today where we cannot see the sun, it's overcast, it's gray out there, it is still so much more light than what you get inside. Mm -hmm. I can't remember because I don't don't remember if he was measuring lumens or what he was measuring on Mm -hmm. that little thing, but it was like, you know like maybe you're like 100 inside and like on a cloudy day it was like a couple hundred it was like 500 yeah. 600 you know on a bright day it's a ton yeah but he was just like but like the magnitude of sun exposure you get outside even on a cloudy day mm-hmm. so much better than even sitting next to a window inside right right it was like oh mm-hmm. it just sucks that it's also cold outside mm-hmm. it's the other deterrent that keeps us from going
1: outside mm-hmm. but mhm yeah yeah I mean, just kind of hold on, wait for spring,
0: yeah, which like is like you know it's it is one of the beautiful things about like the church calendar and the way it's kind of structured is that it's I was thinking about this last night that you know advent is kind of this move towards hope, um even as the days get shorter and it gets darker and darker mm-hmm. and then Lent, which is fast approaching. You know, comes in early spring at the very, like, maybe late winter, um, early spring mark. And it's this, it's kind of a, like, even though the days are getting longer, it's a more inward and more reflective and maybe a darker journey, Lent is, because you're mm-hmm. reflecting on your sin and all of that. But it's leading up to this very hopeful, regenerative new celebration with the coming of spring. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Just, yeah.
0: Just thinking about the way the seasons line up with the church calendar. Yes, and,
1: I think redemption is woven into the created world. Yeah. For sure. It is. Mm-hmm. So.
0: But anyways, we were thinking, before we turned on the microphones and everything, we were kind of talking about um, a – like we were talking about kind of discipleship and maybe some ideas that we were having, having listened to a podcast that we both found and we really enjoyed and appreciated and listened to. Um, And we were kind of thinking about what that means for like discipleship and kind of a corrective for it. So Mm -hmm. Cameron, do you want to kind of take us from there?
1: Yeah. So the podcast was... Carrie, it was carrie newhoff's mm-hmm. podcast and we'll link it here in the uh in the notes yep um but carrie is uh was a pastor of a pretty large church um left pastoral ministry and started mm, writing and doing leadership work and yep. stuff like that mm-hmm. he's, he's got a pretty you know he got a story of burnout and a story of mm-hmm. I don't. I wouldn't say disenchantment, but just like no. ministry was going a different way, and he interviews John Mark Comer, yep. who I guess surprisingly is kind of like the same story. Yeah, yeah. Leading a pretty big church, mega church out in the Pacific Northwest. He had said something like ninety-three staff or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, is a um. What I would say is the kind of like the modern day church guru on um, what we would call now discipleship, yeah and and the simplification of life, and um, you know probably his most famous book is entitled "The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry." Yep, very good book. And they were sitting down just to talk. I think really kind of about the state of discipleship in the evangelical church today.
0: Yeah, kind of. It was kind of a leap, launching pad off of his current most recent book, which I think I've mentioned on the podcast. I, mm-hmm. I started listening to this last week, something like that. I'm listening to it on audiobook, mm-hmm. which does count as reading. Camera? It does not. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: but his new his new uh book whether you listen or read to it is mm-hmm. um practicing the way
1: mm-hmm. i bought the book and i will read it like a grown adult um <laughs> <but> <laughs> and it, 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 <laughs> it's gonna be here today actually um but anyway you know they have a lot of conversation about the state of discipleship in the church today and i think one of the main questions that they ask um that wow. they describe as being the shadow portion mm-hmm. of the evangelical church today which is like you, you want to describe you're you're a little bit more in tune with the language of the shadow yeah do you want to describe kind of like what you felt like he, he meant about that comment.
0: Yeah. So like, so shadow, like if you're, if anyone who's listening is like really tuned into, to like psycho, psychoanalytic or like psych, psychology language and you know, it's kind of an old, it's not a new, it's not part of like the new part of psychology. This is kind of Ugh. older stuff that I think is still very valuable. But the idea of us having a shadow, of everyone having a shadow. I When I talk about it, because I, I bring this up in stuff when I talk about like addiction and stuff I've done with Rooted, of having a false self and a shadow. And the false self is like, um, and, and maybe this isn't the right way to talk about it when we apply it to the conversation they're talking about. But it's this idea of what we present to the world, this false self, and when we have a false self, um, that creates a shadow. And, and maybe we always will have a shadow. Like, mm-hmm. And the shadow is the parts of yourself that you um, that you maybe don't want to accept. They can be good things and bad things. Like um, in, in Christian language, we might talk of them as like the old self, mm-hmm. um, the old Adam. Right, the body of sin that we're trying to put to death would be Mm -hmm. included in the shadow. Mm -hmm. But I would say that there's also things that end up in the shadow that are maybe good things, Mm -hmm. um, or maybe gifts and things like that that we maybe just don't want to accept. So, like, all that to say that, like, if you're dealing with, here's a classic example if you see someone who is, um, You know, someone who's like really kind of always making themselves the center of the stage, what you like, you would see them, you're like, oh, well, they're so confident, they're so forward, they're all of this. Chances are, is that the more they kind of tend to put themselves out there, want the center of attention and all of that, the more likely, in just general human terms, that they have a shadow. That includes significant insecurities mm-hmm. and fear about rejection. Mm-hmm. So all that to say that there is kind of this public representation, mm-hmm. and then there's always a shadow to it. And mm-hmm. they kind of bring that and talk about that to um, uh, into church world. Yeah. Right? Applying yeah. it not just to individuals, but applying it to organizations and stuff right. like that right now i think probably the false self part of it is maybe not as helpful yeah. another way we could talk about it is like um uh a lot of times like our gifts like the thing we're really good at mm-hmm. you know um like someone who's maybe like uh an enneagram Two who loves to help people loves to just always show up for people mm-hmm. that's a gift but what's the shadow of that
1: gift they have no boundaries you know they, they, um, they'll make themselves physically, mentally, emotionally unhealthy. Yep. In the pursuit of being the person that shows up for the other one, right?
0: Yeah. So, so a gift and a shadow. So maybe yeah. that's an even more simpler way to kind yeah. of talk about it than the way I was talking yeah. about it. But so all that to say, they're just like, all right, the church has a shadow. Has a shadow. There's things that the church has a, that mm-hmm. are gifts. Yep. Right, which they don't talk too much about, but yeah. there are gifts to the way that our churches operate and and things like that. But with those gifts, perhaps exist shadows.
1: So yes, yeah, that's essentially what they said. Is like, is the church aware of its shadows? Mm-hmm. Generally, you have to be pretty self aware to be to be aware <laughs> of your shadow, whether you're a church or a person. But they talk about it. Yeah, specifically, as it pertains to discipleship, so the the self, right, the church um, does a lot of things to help people grow in yes. their relationship with Jesus, right? Yep. They offer communal worship services and mm-hmm. small groups and Sunday school classes and Bible studies and opportunities to serve and to fellowship with one another and... Um, all of these things, and and so they're offering, they're they're doing all of these things with the intention of we want you to become more and more like Jesus, yep. and we want you to become closer to Jesus. Great, mm-hmm. that's what we want too. But then the question <laughs> that is asked, which kind of is the like the sh- the shadow question, is how many of us are. How many churches or church leaders pastors whatever are actually willing to ask the question of whether or not the current methods are effective yeah are they working
0: or effective to what limit
1: right to what stage of discipleship to what stage of like yeah spiritual growth mm-hmm. and they um they mention a few books. The Critical Journey is one they talk quite a bit about. You and mm-hmm. I have that book here. I've never read it, but yeah, I, I've, I picked it up. So. I've read it like twice, I think, now. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, John Mark Homer uh, essentially is like, I, I am not sure that the church is honest enough with itself to to, to deal with the shadow of our... Ineffectiveness mm-hmm. at moving people through, or bringing people, apprenticing Jesus, to uh, people to Jesus. Yeah. And so, um, what do you think about that? I think he's right. Yeah, I do. I think he's right. Um, and it it may be like, it may be a little bit anecdotal, mm-hmm. but I feel like if I Look across the span. I would love to know, okay, Jesus, when I get to heaven someday, please tell me the amount of people. Please answer this question for me. Um, I would love to know the the number of individual people that have been like, have come through one of the three churches that I've served in my time Mm -hmm. in ministry, who have considered me their pastor, who have sat under my teaching and leadership, whatever, the number of people first. And then the second thing is, um, I would like to know the number of people that I would confidently say the systems, structures, the programs, the churches that I've led, have provided them the best framework to move from the life of sin to the life of righteousness or the life of like, um, you know, knowing nothing about Jesus, not walking with Jesus, not living like Jesus, not not in communion with the Spirit, not any of those things, to like fully thriving Mm -hmm. disciple. Apprentice, yeah, follower mm-hmm. of Jesus, and if I'm honest with myself, I would have to say that that number is perilously low. Because mm. I think in a lot of ways, there are, of course, people upon people upon people upon people upon people whose lives are changed, yes. and they, yes, you know, like I'm not, I'm not saying that all of my ministry is no uh, no or that the people that are in my church now at conduit like that they're all you know untransformed i'm not saying that at all but what i'm saying is that the i think that the proportion of people Mm -hmm. who enter into the discipleship ministries of just about any evangelical church yeah now right walk through the majority of their life yep relatively untransformed mm-hmm. and yeah. so i it makes me question the method cuz mm-hmm. i don't know i can't really question anything else i can't really question their like the individuals individual persons like effort or like right. the authenticity of their conversion yep. or anything like that all i can do is say well the res- i don't it doesn't feel like we're getting the results yeah that we should get if we all agree that oh these are the things that yeah. build disciples small groups and teaching and fellowship yeah. and yeah.
0: well cuz like we we live in a like um program a little bit or like like a programmatic world programmatic based ministry and so in like i've kind of said this um, i know i've said this to you and i've probably said this on the podcast but like if our definition of discipleship is, you know, um, like, yeah, the, the, I'll, I'll name it. So, like, churches have some version of, like, this is their discipleship plan. Gather, grow, and go. Yep. Gather on Sunday morning yep. to worship the Lord, praise, and fellowship, and hear the teaching. Yep. We grow together in community. We get together midweek and where we have a Bible study together, and we grow through reading the Word together and praying with one another. And then you've got to go uh, by serving on Sunday morning, Um, you know, or at best serving in some sort of outreach. Maybe, uh, I'd say a lot of churches, you know, substitute going out into the world for coming and serving at Sunday morning services.
1: Um, That's... Oh, that's disgustingly true.
0: Yeah, like I and the thing is, is I, the reason I was hesitant to say this is because I know that there are churches that literally have that language on their website: gather, grow, and go.
1: We're like not picking on you, we don't. Not, I'm not
0: picking yeah. on you specifically. It just is really nice alliteration, and it like. But if you pull up, like you know, any church, not any church, but a lot of churches, you'll find some version. The the, the words might change. But essentially what they're saying is, like, show up Sunday, join a small group midweek thing, and then somehow serve either the church or the community. Mm -hmm. And if you do those three things, that's what it means to be a disciple. And the thing about that is, is that you can max out that definition of discipleship inside of a week. Mm -hmm. I can show up to a church... If I don't just show up and I kind of like shop around for a little bit, but if I like, I show up, I fill out whatever stupid card that we have and then turn it in and then I like do the thing and I show up to the group and I serve on a Sunday morning, I've reached the maximum definition of what practically it means to be a disciple. Mm-hmm. It, does that make maturity? Right. And so, yeah, there, I said it.
1: Yeah. Well, good. Good for you. You let your voice be known. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I think that, that, you know, that's kind of the crux of what they talk about is, is this an effective method? Is it really doing what we want it to do? Or is it doing what Jesus wants it to do? Maybe that's the better question.
0: And and I don't, it, it does do stuff. Does? It yeah. does. And it... You know, I don't wanna like completely undermine it because it does like like going to Sunday service is important. We do think going to a small group is important, we yep. do think serving is important. Yep. And they do form us. Uh-huh. Um, I think the problem twofold is that sometimes they lack some of the complete completeness. Mm. They like particularly if they're not depending on how they're done. Two, like a different type of small group. There's different, you know, there's different types of small groups. Mm -hmm. And there's some small groups that might be really helpful when you're really early in your faith. Mm -hmm. But is that the same type of small group that's going to be helpful in five, ten years down Mm -hmm. your, down the walk with the Lord? Mm -hmm. Do you need something different? And that's kind of where that question comes in is, does this kind of gather... Grow and go, this like three kind of little programmatic pieces. Do those help make full disciples? I think they help make some kind of disciples and make you disciples to a degree. Mm-hmm. But then question is is what what what's the shadow? What's the missing yeah. part of it? Yeah. And like you were saying, is it doing what Jesus wants, done, it to do. wants it to do? Yeah.
1: The um one of the things that they talk about is the incompleteness of the word discipleship mm-hmm. and um, you know, I'm not a Greek expert, so I don't, I don't really know um, to be honest with you. I haven't done the, the work on it, but um, about how the word there disciple really is probably better translated as apprentice. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, I'll, I'll, Tease a little bit from the book, but essentially, like that word disciple is really tied to Jesus' role as rabbi, as teacher. Mm -hmm. And so, and the culture around, because, you know, rabbis would go and get. Disciples. So, like what Jesus did, what we see in the gospels, where Just Jesus students. gets, students, gets yeah. students, right? He goes and mm-hmm. calls disciples. He goes and calls them, right? He calls them away from their nets to come and follow him. Mm-hmm. It is not a it's not a thing that nobody had ever done before. Jesus did it different than anybody else had done it before. Mm-hmm. But there were other rabbis other than Jesus that went around and taught, other rabbis who went and got teach students to follow them and things mm-hmm. like that. And so um it wasn't like, you know, the just the the apostles, the disciples were like, what's what's he mean? Come and follow him. They knew what they he meant. Come and be my student. Come mm-hmm. be with me, um, be like me and do what I do, right? Which is, you know, the paradigm that's in Comer's book. And and so his argument is that because disciple is kind of an antiquated word for us, mm-hmm. we don't use it anywhere. But a word that maybe makes better sense is he argues is um, apprentice. And you said student, mm-hmm. right? That also kind of works. Yeah. Except it carries probably too much of an, a
1: academic or intellectual yeah, model. Yeah. Yeah. Where apprentice gets a little bit more to the heart of like um, the role of like demonstration. Yeah. The role of demonstration on the part of the teacher or master or yeah. whomever and then the expectation that the apprentice um allow that demonstration to inform their own work. Yeah. Um and I thought I was thinking about it in terms of cuz they mentioned this of like it's training.
0: Hmm.
1: Like when we talk about discipleship, it's training. We're we talking about apprenticing Jesus. We're being trained. Yep. And I'm like I'm currently training to uh, run a marathon in May. And like I'm not, I'm not out of shape by any by any means. No. But like I'm also. Not necessarily in marathon shape. Sure. I'm not in running shape. Mm -hmm. So I've been training and I have been running and making sure my strength program is like conducive to runner strength, not necessarily like the other types of things that I was doing. And um, the reality is that I, you know, if I went out and tried to run the marathon right now, with little training, um, my body and my my body and my mind's response to it would be like failure. Yeah. You're gonna fail. Right. It's gonna crash and burn. Yeah. Cause We'd find you halfway Right.
0: curled up in a ball.
1: Right. <laughs> um and You'd one find of the, me a quarter of the way. <laughs> one of the things that I have done is like I have enlisted the help of someone who has run marathons before and mm-hmm. they've developed a training plan for me gonna run this many miles on this day this many miles on this day this many miles on this day right and week by week by week the miles increase until you get to the point where you can successfully run the marathon Mm -hmm. and what i feel like the church does which is an interesting way to talk about it because i am essentially um um talking about myself Yeah, I know. This feels really like, are we calling ourselves out? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're we're talking about the shadow. Yeah. We're just talking about the the reality of it. Right. Um, Is we, I actually said this this Sunday from the pulpit. I was like, Mm -hmm. well, you wanna know the answer to intimacy with Jesus? You're not gonna like the answer because it's the same answer that's always been. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's intentional time with him. Right? It's, you know, building out Time with him, time in his word. Yeah, right. Um, time in prayer, listening to like speaking in prayer, listening in prayer, responding in prayer, not just hearing but doing. Yep. the things like obeying his commands. You know, right. we're talking from um, John chapter fifteen. You mm-hmm. know, uh, those who love me obey my commands. Yep, and um, and so. Uh, where was I going with that?
0: The church is kind of guilty. We were on that oh, training right, right, right. metaphor. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, like, the church is kind of guilty of just saying, "Read your Bible more, pray more, come to church, mm-hmm. just do that, mm-hmm. just do that." And that's kind of the I feel like the um, the parallel of being just like, just go run the marathon. Yeah, just put your shoe, like put your running shoes on,
0: mm-hmm.
1: put put your running clothes on, and just go out and start running. And like, you know, just don't stop until you're done. And then like you're, you're now you're a marathon runner, mm-hmm. right? Where it's not taking into account that there are like people who are obese and out of shape and their nutrition is bad and mm-hmm. they've never run a mile and now we want them to run 26.2 mm-hmm. and so i take that kind of correlation into the life of discipleship or apprenticeship or training or whatever and the thing is is that i actually still think that the answer is the answer mhm or at least it's a part of the answer i still yeah. do think that you know time with the Lord in his word and in prayer and doing the things that he, like, I think that's part of the answer. Yeah, it is. But the question is, is like, what is our expectation of people's Mm -hmm. intensity in that? Right. And are we showing them what it means to read the word? Yeah. Are we showing them what it means to pray? Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and he modeled prayer and mm-hmm. he brought them along with him as he prayed, and they heard his prayers, and they witnessed his prayers, and he taught them about prayer, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and so he was offering them like the apprentice model of prayer development and prayer mm-hmm. life. So my question then for myself and for the shadow life of the church is, okay, am I expending energy as a pastor and shepherd and teacher and all that in helping people walk the first mile? Yeah. Am I teaching them how to read the word? Mm Mm-hmm. Am I breaking down the barriers of like the social church constructs that says you have to read three chapters a day? Mm Mm-hmm. And you have to do it every day.
0: And you got to start in Genesis.
1: You got to and you got to get up at five a.m.
0: <laughs> if right. you're perfectly brewed coffee,
1: right? Post it on Instagram, which is kind of like the expectation. Mm-hmm. But it is is it is it apprenticing people? Right. I don't think it is.
0: Yeah. Or like it's because like I'm gonna take make an assumption because um, I don't I'm, I don't train with you. I don't. I don't know any martial arts, but I'm assuming that when you train people in jujitsu, like you're, you're like scaffolding them. Mm -hmm. You've got to teach like a basic, like move or form or thing to do. And then I'm probably, even when you're kind of like practicing with them, you're probably even just kind of like, all right, they kind of did that right, but I'm not, you're not really like, you're not – when you're sparring with someone who's just brand new, mm-hmm. you're not going full bore. No. You're mm-hmm. you're actually – you're probably just like, okay, I need them to get this technique down, even though I know I can counter that with this. Mm-hmm. I'm just simply not going to use that.
1: Yeah. I'm teaching my son jiu-jitsu right now. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Who mm-hmm. is
0: like half your height. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and – you know, but then there's also so I think I think you're right. I think there's that we're not giving people that earl, early scaffolding, that early learning. Mm-hmm. But then I also think that there's this other component in which there are people who have managed to make it to a certain level, and then they don't know what else is next, mm-hmm. or they don't know how to get to the next thing. Yep. Because there's different types of praying, mm-hmm. you know, in different ways to read scripture. And different levels on which to read scripture, and you know we those those don't always fit into programs or at least traditional evangelical programs as nicely or neatly, mm-hmm. and that leaves people getting to a certain level, and then they're like, okay, well I've stalled out here, and then what are they going to do?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, agree. Um. So, I think it requires a little bit of honest examination by churches Mm -hmm. to say, um, when I think this is John Mark Comer's frustration with the church is when are we going to stop doing this Mm -hmm. and start doing something else? Yeah. When are we going to, when are we going to, when are we going to recognize, admit, and then rectify? The reality that this is not doing for people what
0: what we hope it would, right, or what we think Christ wants from us,
1: mm-hmm. right. So, um, I in that's a you know an honest question of that needs examination, I think, by every church leader. Yeah, myself included.
0: Mm-hmm. We're trying. Mm-hmm. We're thinking about it.
1: We are. Does that help? I mean. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, if you if you want some good reading, I would go. We'll link the podcast here, mm-hmm. the Newhoff um, podcast. Um, we'll link um John's new book. Yeah. Practicing the way. Yep. And maybe we can link the critical journey. Yeah. Book as well. Yep. Um, and those give you an opportunity for some deeper learning if you want. Um, or some deeper um, exposure to these ideas. Yeah. And as always, if you feel like you have something to say about this or other things, you want to comment on the video, if you're watching on YouTube, it's easiest there probably, please do so. Um, if you have a question or a comment or you want us to kind of – tackle some topic that's been on your mind or heart or scripture or whatever you can always text it to us we have a texting line here for the podcast it's 716-201-0507 and we will um, we'll we'll address that pretty quick usually I mean we record every week so uh, we'd like to be able to get to those as always if you would uh, we we thank you for listening if you would uh, like this episode like the podcast share it Subscribe to it wherever it is you're listening. If you're not any of those things, that would be super helpful and encouraging for us. Um, you'll be happy to know that we get paid nothing for this um, zero. So um,
0: we're not sponsored by anything. Yet. We're not
1: sponsored by anything. Although I still am looking for sponsorships from um, energy drink companies. But New Year, New Me. I have drastically reduced my consumption of energy drinks. So Good for you. I've been doing a lot of reading And a lot of study on The um, Like half
0: life of stuff
1: This is a PS to the podcast But like some of you know some of you don't know That I have a second job Mm -hmm. As a chaplain For police agencies in Chautauqua County
0: Mm, Yeah
1: And so um, And a lot of my work is around Helping officers process complex Trauma Mm -hmm. And in my reading, one of the major times that officers process complex trauma is during REM sleep, or when people process complex trauma is during REM sleep, your, bl- your brain replays those in your eyes going back and forth, kind of puts it in the right place in your brain. Yeah. Right? Puts that memory in the right place. Yep. Well, um, in order to-
0: Get to REM sleep. Get to
1: REM sleep, you have to go to sleep. Yes. You know? And there is a uh, tremendous issue within the law enforcement community. I, yeah. The overconsumption of caffeine.
0: Yeah. Working a long shift, working a late shift, like let's just pound a monster or a Red a Bull. A couple. Or-
1: you know, they come on shift, they grab a coffee in their car. And then a couple hours later, it's a energy drink. And then towards the end of the shift, they're on a long call. They need to pick me up. They grab another one. And so on a shift, you're... Six, seven, eight, nine hundred milligrams of caffeine into your body. And then you go home and you try to sleep. Um, they can't sleep, and right. so what do they do? They have a drink,
0: right? Which alcohol. doesn't actually, which also inhibit. It might help you fall asleep initially. Does it, not help you. It disrupts REM sleep.
1: Yes, it disrupts alcohol REM.
0: Alcohol disrupts REM.
1: Right. So now you have an overconsumption of caffeine and an overconsumption of alcohol, and you yeah. miss REM sleep, yeah. and. Then you do that over the course of a twenty to twenty-five year career, yeah. and your ability to process complex trauma has been greatly diminished. Yeah, because you had too many drink, energy drinks, and, or as a part of that. yeah,
0: and, and caffeine too. Like how's that like half life? It takes hour half life. So it takes so long for that cup of coffee you had at even noon to be out of your system.
1: So if I have a 150 milligram of caffeine cup of coffee at noon, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty high, it's a pretty big cup of coffee. Yeah. Usually coffee's like 80 to 90 milligrams for an eight ounce cup. Yeah. So say I have a 16 ounce cup, I'm in the 150 to 200 milligram range of Mm -hmm. caffeine at 12 noon. At midnight, I'm going to have half that. Yeah. So caffeine has a half life of 12 hours. So at midnight, I'm going to have... Best case scenario 100 grams of milli- uh, 100 milligrams of caffeine in my system, right? Still, still affecting still it. disruptive to REM. Yeah, so, um, it's I said a lot to say, I'm still willing to take energy drink sponsorships. <laughs> we'll just have to record way earlier in the day, <laughs> um, and, um and yeah if you're interested in that kind of stuff which i really that is really fascinating to me so i've been reading a lot on it um it uh, it's super important it is so take
0: care of your body too
1: mm-hmm. yeah. all right thanks for listening catch you next time